listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Let's pray together in God. We come to you and we pray that that would not only be the song in uh, that's coming from our lips, but God, that would be the truth that would be, t- be penetrating our lives here today, that no matter where we are, that we would be found understanding and and submitting to your rule and to your reign in our lives and in this world and knowing that you reign over all things. And God, you are in all things, whether it is the mountaintops that we are experiencing in life and the joys and the happiness and and, and that things are going well in, in various areas and we're grateful, oh God, would we be full of thanksgiving and worship to you or God, if we're just kind of a mediocre day, oh God, would, would our praises ring to you and just thank you for normalcy in our lives. And, and, and if it's in the pit and if we're struggling and battling, oh God, would we see that you are there and you are forming, you are working in our lives and, and establish, establishing us. And would we come to the end of ourselves so that we would be so empty of the things of this world and so empty of the things that we think we need and we would turn and surrender our lives to you anew, afresh this day, and would be filled with your Holy Spirit and filled with your power, your strength, your victory, and that we would march out of here today victorious knowing that our God rules and reigns supreme, that it wasn't just the songs that we were singing, but this is the knowledge in our heart, and then we're going to put into action. And so God, guide your teaching today, whether that's in Hope Kids, whether that is here at the hall, those joining us online, oh God, would your word accomplish much in our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. And let's get to it. it. Open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. Thank you, Ben, for leading us once again and just thankful for the sacrifice and the work that that gets put into a Sunday morning. Our ushers have Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word in your hand, raise your hand. They would love to put a copy in your hand so you can follow along. We're going to be covering a chunk of Genesis 41 today. And so for you to see it, uh, in order to believe it, and in order to allow God's Word to transform us, it's great if you just not only hear the Word of God, but see the Word of God. And so Um, They're handing out those Bibles. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that home and allow God to to work in your life as you read and study and as you apply God's Word to your life. Genesis 41, we'll be looking at that in a moment. You know, we all love rags-to-riches stories, don't we? Whether it's a movie or a book or a, you know, sort of a documentary in people's lives where someone emerges out of the difficult, whether it's difficult, impoverished, impossible circumstances where they have defied the odds, they've overcome the obstacles, and they finally made it, and they made it big. And we love those kind of stories. And, and whether it's musicians or actors or athletes or entrepreneurs or people who... who di- desire to do good their, uh, with their lives and, and, and to serve others. These kind of stories just warm our heart. But sadly, many of these rags-to-riches stories that we hear about, unless they're handled carefully, hum- with humility, sadly, they can a- end up after the, the rags have become riches and everything is going good. Sadly, when you study, oftentimes the, these, lives, these lives end up becoming kind of empty and full of ruin. And it, it's rags to riches to ruin. And, and just look at Hollywood. Look at musicians. Look at, at, at people who we highly esteem. And, and we see these stories, and sadly, they can end in ruin. Well, thankfully, we have heroes in the Bible that didn't go that way. 
We have heroes in the Bible that did end up going rags to riches to ruin. But we have some that, that have remained faithful. And Joseph is one of those. And, and what a joy it is to study his life. And I trust that you are learning, being encouraged, and being challenged by what God is teaching us in this series. But Joseph stands as a man of faith, a man who trusted God despite what was going on. And he stands in this way in a confidence that God is at work. And he experiences and he's trusting God whether he is in, in, in good or whether he's in not so good of circumstances. He's trusting God in the midst of broken dreams. He's trusting God in the pit, in the penthouse, in the prison. And today we're going to see he's trusting God and he's serving God's purposes even in the palace when things are going well. And so last week, as Brett led us through chapter 40, we see that poor Joseph was left and he was forgotten in prison. He was serving time in a prison for a, for a crime that he did not commit. And no doubt he was, was feeling forgotten by God. He was forgotten by the cupbearer who promised, who said that he was going to remember him and help to get him out of there and advocate for, advocate for his release and never did. No doubt there were days where I'm sure he called out like, like David did in Psalm 13 and said, oh God, where are you? Have you ever done that? God, where are you? I can't believe I'm in this situation. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that, that my plan isn't working out. Oh God, where are you? What are you doing? And I'm sure we've all been there and maybe some of you are there today. You say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? What are you doing in my family? What are you doing in my job? What are you doing in my finances? God, what is going on in this world, in this broken, messed up world? Well, after 13 years of preparation, of waiting, of confusion, and wondering what God was up to, we see there's a change. And this change came quickly for Joseph. Never in his wildest dreams would if he woke up that one day in the prison and realized what was going to take place where he went from the prison to the palace in a matter of a few hours. Now, chapter 41 is 57 verses long. Just to read through that all would probably take most of the message, so we're going an hour and a half today for preaching. Just so, so you're ready, no, we won't go quite that long. We're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of do an overview. We're going to end up reading about half of the chapter, but then we, as we do this overview and kind of get an outline of the chapter, then we're going to zero in on some really important lessons that we can learn, that we must learn. Now, these are essential lessons that we must learn when it comes to understanding God in His providence, when it comes to handling success, and also when it comes to approaching famines. Because the approaching famines are coming. And yet we can experience God in the midst of it all. And, and seek his provision and experience his power and his presence regardless of what's going on. Believer in Christ, there is hope today for you in the word of God. Not a believer in Christ, I have nothing for you. There is no hope other than in the word of God and in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there we find our hope and our help, but then we must take and we must apply God's truth. And so the first thing, we're going to break it down and encourage you to write, write, write this down so you get a little outline of this amazing chapter. First of all, we see Pharaoh was shook up. He was rather shook up. Verse 1, it says, after two whole years, that is of, of Joseph being in prison for crime he didn't commit, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Now, the next few verses go on to describe not one, but two very similar dreams, and we're going to read those a little bit later because they get repeated. Now, jump down to verse 8, and it says, So in the morning his spirit was troubled, 
And he sent and he called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Now, these dreams greatly troubled Pharaoh, partially because of the location of where the dream was, because there he was standing on the Nile River. This was the main river. This was the major river system of Egypt. It is what gave Egypt its life. It is what sustained the Egyptian economy, their food supply, their water, their irrigation systems. And so here it is in a very troubling place. And what he ended up seeing, these dreams that troubled him even continued in that they were incredibly vivid, very grotesque in many ways, cannibalistic in, in, in nature. And so he was bothered by this, and, 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 and what bothered him even more, and which even then bothered his magicians from being able to even give an interpretation, is that he had two very similar dreams. And as soon as there's two dreams like that, that sounds off these alarm bells, that ding, 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 this is an important message and you better get it right. And that they understood that this was a message that something was even from not even the gods that they acknowledged and the gods that they worshipped. Because the doubling of a dream in, indicates some important messages are, taking, are, are, be, are being given. And so next we see, uh, the second thing we see here is Pharaoh summons Joseph. And so Joseph is summoned. All of a sudden the cupbearer, who Brett talked about last week in verse 40, um, all of a sudden remembered and, and, and he remembered back when he was back a couple years ago in prison along with the king's baker. And, and, and Joseph uh, helped them and interpreted their dreams and, and led to his release and also to the bakers not making it. But he was accurate in what he said. And he, all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, I remember this guy. I remember this guy from when I was in prison. Now I don't know about you, as a kid reading this story and even going through it now, I think we can sometimes maybe, I know I have, maybe get a little upset with the cupbearer, thinking, what a jerk. I mean, he gave his word that he was going to help. I mean, this guy got him out of prison and, 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 and totally told him what was going uh, to take place and, and, and was so accurate in this. And he's like, I'm, I promise, I'm going to get you out of here. Man, I'm going to put a good word in for you and totally just forgets him. And, and perhaps... You might think, you know, I'm the cupbearer. I feel forgotten. I feel neglected. But I think we can, all, all of a sudden, uh, I want to reverse it a little bit and, and, and realize that you and I are often like the cupbearer. We are like the cupbearer in how quickly we can forget God when he gets us out of a good situation or out of a difficult situation and brings good into our life. How we pray and we praise, oh God, if you help me study, if you help me write this test and to pass or to get my drivers or, 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 or to get married or, or, or all these different things, or say, if you do this, I'll serve you forever. And then he, he comes through and he answers and, and then we forget him. And, and we can so easily do this. I know I'm guilty of this. And we forget all that God has done for us. We forget that there was a death sentence upon us. And that because of God's provision in Christ Jesus, if we are in Christ, that death sentence has been removed. We forget about the prisons that he has helped to break us out of by his power and his strength, whether that be the power of sin, the power of guilt or shame upon our lives. And we forget about that. And so oftentimes I think we can be, I know I can be, a lot like the cupbearer in this story. 
But finally, he speaks up. He comes to his senses, and he remembers, oh, yeah, there's this Hebrew guy. So verse 12, we're going to read a chunk here now. Verse 12, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When he told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dreams. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him up out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that you can hear a dream. You can, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And look at the third thing we see here now. Pharaoh shares his dream with Joseph. He tells him about it, verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile, seven cows, plump and attractive. This would get a, get a, 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 a uh, farmer rather like, Oh yeah, this is so good. I remember going to... As a kid in Regina, they had the Agribition, which was something every year in, in, in Regina. They had this big farm show, and we'd go there. And one year, my sister went with her school class, and they looked at these cows, and she came home, and she was dead set. Dad, we need an Aberdeen Angus cow. She was in love with these cows. They were plump. They were good. I just thought of the good steaks that could come from it, you know. And, and so this, I mean, hearing a dream like this, oh, coming up out of the river, these, these plump cows, this is so good. And, uh, and so plump and attractive came up, they came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as in the beginning. What's that thing, once ugly, always ugly? I, I guess that was true for, true for them here. So, it's, and, and then, then I awoke. And so he's alarmed, he's kind of shook up, and then he, start, he, he falls back asleep, you know, he goes and has some, some warm milk, and, you know, and, and maybe a little snack or something, and then, th then he, he, he goes back to bed, and, and, but, then, but then I saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted up after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. See, these dreams were unsettling. They were grotesque in nature, causing Pharaoh some great concern. And so we see that, share, that Pharaoh was, was what? Shook up. He shares his dreams and, um, and, 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 uh, and, and had summoned Joseph. Now we're going to shift our attention to Joseph and finish off the rest of this chapter. And the first thing we see is that Joseph interprets the dreams. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of the Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Joseph then goes on to explain. There's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven very severe years of famine. 
And then in verse 32, he says, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the dream, that, that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Pharaoh, he's telling him, this is from God. This is from not your many gods, this is from the God, from Elohim. This is who this is from. And you better, you better prepare now. You better get ready. And so, this con- and, and so it continues. We see that Joseph then instructs Pharaoh's, instructs Pharaoh, verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh, Joseph then tells Pharaoh, okay, what you need to do, just suggesting, here's a bit of an idea though, here's something you need to do, is you need to implement a 20% tax for the next seven years to store up some reserves so that when the seven years of famine hit, you will be secure, your country will be safe, you will have food, you will survive. This is what you need to do. Look at what happens. Joseph is endorsed. Now, I know some of you looking at the screen right now, you might be starting to think, um, because we do have some of you in the church, these spelling and grammar sharks, and we are thankful for you. Um, and, and I know I spelled it wrong, but, you know, pastor alliteration, everything has to start with I. And so it's a bit of a stretch and a bit of a spelling mistake. I even went to one of our word sleuths this past week, and I said, can you find a word that will mean promoted or, or endorsed or elevated in authority? And uh, it even stumped him. He gave me one word, and I think he likes it because his name is found in it. And he gave me the word ionospheric. Um, the last part is Eric, and so Eric gave me um, some, uh, this word which means in the stratosphere, high up above, so, but we're just going to go with endorse because uh, the other word is just too hard to even say and spell. Anyway, so verse 37, Joseph is endorsed. Let's continue. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And then verse 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Well, you just think about this. Joseph, in a matter of moments, is now endorsed. He is promoted to second in command. He has a new job, second in command of all of Egypt. He's given clout. Meaning that, and, and we see that Pharaoh doesn't get another ring for him. He takes his very own ring off, his signet ring. The word that we get for signet ring is actually a Hebrew verb that means to sink in. It, and, and it would be the king's stamp that he would take his ring off and he would stink it, would not stink it, sink it into wax or clay. And that would be the king's stamp of approval, the king's authority. And, and he doesn't even get another one made up. He's like, here, man, you need this. Here's my ring. You have authority. This is better. At times, have you ever dreamed of having someone's 
credit card that had an unlimited amount on it, and they said, just go crazy. This was even better than that, because this wasn't only money and resource. He had power. He had authority to do whatever he so felt was necessary. So he gets this clout that he has. He's given authority. He gets brand new clothes. He goes from prison-issue clothing to being clothed in the finest and the best linens in Egypt. Instead of prison chains, a chain is put, a gold chain is put around his neck. He's given a new ride, a chariot. This wasn't just some old run-of-the-mill kind of a Kia or a Ford or Subaru or a Tesla kind of a chariot. Oh, no, this, he got the Rolls Royce of chariots, the second only. I mean, it was the backup one, no doubt, for the Pharaoh. And so he ended up getting this chariot as well along with an entourage of people, of others that would go ahead of him and say, make way, make way, Joseph is coming, Joseph is coming. I mean, how amazing is that? Now, I've seen some of you drive, and you probably should have someone going ahead of you, some of you, and, and, and you know, saying, get off the sidewalks, get off the sidewalks, they're coming, they're coming, you know, that sort of a thing. And speaking of crazy drivers, one of the dads from our church texted this to me last Sunday, and he confessed that his daughter was uh, training um, to drive and almost hit my truck after church last week. Um, bit of a close call, I would say. And, um, and now I won't say who the driver was. Um, oh, yes, I will. Um, and and, and uh, yeah, so anyways, I mean, some of us may need an entourage like that to go ahead of us. So, so Joseph is here. He's, he interprets, he instructs, he is endorsed to second in command. And then what do we see him doing? He's inspecting. Joseph inspects. He gets to the work. He gets to the business. He didn't allow this position to get to him, and it wasn't time for, for chariot races. It wasn't time for leisures and trips and all this kind of thing. He got to business. He got to work. Look at the last part of verse 46, and it says, And Joseph went out from the presence of, the, of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. He got busy, got busy doing the work that he was given to do. And, and the work that would end up saving the lives, saving that nation. A work that would end up, little did he know, that would save his very own family. A work that little did he know would end up bringing, the, bringing about through his family heritage, through his brother Judah, and, and through his, his dad Jacob, and Abraham and Isaac before that, that through this would come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Little did he know that those dreams that he had when he was 17 years old would finally be fulfilled. Look at verse 49. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until, it ceased, uh, uh, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not all be measured. Verse 54. And the seven years of famine began to come, and Joseph said, There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. Verse 57, and all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. What a story this is. After shattered dreams, betrayal, false accusation, prison, now waiting in prison, a total of 13 years, now finally Joseph, I mean, just he couldn't even see it coming in that now he's large and he's in charge. God spent 13 years forming and framing, establishing and preparing the mind and the heart of his servant. Now, for the rest of our time here today, I'd like for us to look at three transformational truths from the life of Joseph 
for the child of God today. If you are a child of God today, these are transformational truths that you and I, we need to take and we need to apply them to our lives. And whether today you feel like your life is the pits, whether it feels like, hey, I'm living pretty good, I'm in the penthouse, I've got a job, I have food, I have shelter, I have family, I have good things around me, I have good people, I'm so blessed, or maybe you're feeling you're in a prison today. Maybe it feels like you're in the outhouse of life today. Maybe it feels like you're in the waiting and you're just waiting, waiting, waiting. Whether it's in the prison or in the palace, these are transformational truths that every one of us can take and we must. I cannot under, over, estimate how much we need to take these and live these and ask God to help us in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to, to allow these to become truths in our lives. Because let's remember that Joseph ultimately, Joseph isn't the hero in the story, Jesus is. He's pointing to Jesus, and so we're learning from him, but then we look at Jesus, who is the perfect Joseph, the one who, who, who also lived in this manner. And so we're learning, yes, from Joseph, but ultimately from Jesus, the true hero, because when the power of the Holy Spirit then empowers us, we can live a life like Joseph, that we can live a life like Jesus in his power and his strength through his spirit. Now let's face it, here's lesson number one, live a A-G-T-G life. Live a all glory to God life. One of the men in the church shared this little acronym and I just love it and I think it's so important. We need to live an all glory to God kind of life. Let's face it, some people change and all of us probably know this and have seen it and maybe even sadly we've even seen it in our own lives. Some people change when they make it big when they become successful, when the ship comes in, and, and we probably have these stories, we could recall this, and, and all of a sudden they change with some arrogance or pride. They have a new social circle. They're, they're living the high life, and, and, and they really start to believe the press about them that they are quite something, that they have now become God's gift to planet Earth, God's gift to their family, God's gift to their church, God's gift in this way or another. And oftentimes forgetting not only that all glory belongs to God, but also forgetting those who were there for them and with them. But Joseph didn't change. Whether it was in the pit, in the penthouse, in the prison, in the palace, there was a constancy about his life. And what we see is he only got stronger. His trust, his reliance on the Lord. And here's, here's some important steps in living an all-glory-to-God life. He lived a God-centered life, not me-oriented. We see this in, in chapter 39, verse 9, when he resisted the advances of Mrs. Potiphar. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. And when he was tempted, and, and he was tempted to sin, and he declares, how could I do such a thing, not against my boss, how could I do such a thing against my God? He had the right theology, he had the right understanding, he had the right understanding about God, he had the right understanding about sin, he was also quick to give the glory to God. We see this all over this story. We saw it last week when he told the cupbearer and the baker that interpretations of dreams, hey, this isn't me, this isn't me. The interpretations I'm telling, this is from God. You need to know this. He separated himself. He didn't want the glory for himself. He was quick to give the glory to God. Today, in verse 16, again, it's not me, it's not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Elohim, the only one true God, will do this. 
standing before Pharaoh, he may have been so tempted to elevate himself a little bit in the story, to, to elevate his own ability in order to secure, I mean, and, and just do it for our own survival so he doesn't have to go back to the prison. You know, I've got to say things and maybe keep a little information or do a few things to put myself in the limelight enough so that Pharaoh will see my worth and he'll keep me around. No, God was quick. God's going to do this, Pharaoh. God's going to do this. It's not me. It's God. He wasn't trying to elevate. He wasn't puffed up about himself. He wasn't puffed up about it. He was a good-looking guy. Well-built. Ability. Giftings. Smarts. Ability to interpret dreams when no one else could do it. And yet it's not me. It's me. It's not about me. It's God. It's God. It's God. If any of the good, if there's any success, any of that blessing that has come into our life, quit being so arrogant and thinking you have done it. You, you, you have degrees behind your name. You have nice stuff. You've got a family that loves and honors and serves the Lord. It's not because you are so awesome. It's because God is so good. And it's because what he has done. And so we get rid of that. We humble ourselves before God in that way. But we're so quick to become so proud and so arrogant, thinking we've done it. And this is when God's just like, okay, it's now you on the stage. I'm done. And, and sorry, I'm messing up your camera. Um, and, 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 and so it just, I'll let you take, take the stage. And, and you can go on a great run. And people will rise and call you blessed. And you will be empty. And you will be lost on the inside, not knowing God's power, God's presence, God's peace in your life. Because it's become all about you. Make it all about him. Give all the glory to God. And God, allow him to be honored in all that we do. If there's any good, any success, when it comes to your kids, grandparents, when it comes to your grandkids, quit being so proud and thinking, oh, they're so good looking because, I mean, look at their DNA. Or, you know, or, 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 or you know, oh, well, they're so good. I mean, again, look at, look at the DNA. Look at, look at what, what I've given. No, it's all God. It's God's goodness in your life. He gives gifts. He gives ability. He is the one that gives you the ability to keep sucking air even today. He could turn it off just like that and you're done. God determines all of that. Give all the glory to him. Remember James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from him. Now, at times we do see the wicked we see people not honoring God, being very successful, but God's word also tells the ruin that will come to them in their day. This may be the only piece of heaven that they will experience here on this earth or ever because they're headed to a, a godless eternity in hell. Remember Luke 12, 48, it, we're reminded to, to whom much has been given, much will also be required. God has given you gifting, ability. He's given you money. He's given you resources. He's given you talents. You don't terminate it all upon yourself and about who you are. It's a, if you are in Christ, God requires that and, and asks us to, to not just pamper ourselves and bless ourselves and congratulate ourselves. No. He gives us giftings. He gives us abilities that we may be able to then offer them to him as a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, in service for his kingdom. Not in service for our name, not in service for a company, not in service for a church. Ultimately for him. 
Anything short of that, we are glory thieves and we are robbing God. And we're missing out on that true blessing of God in our lives and especially down the road as we see this faithfulness in Joseph's life. Second of all, we must, like Joseph, we must speak boldly and firmly and truthfully and urgently. Joseph stood and spoke boldly based on the revelation that God gave to him. I mean, he wasn't given a lot here, but he spoke boldly. He didn't sugarcoat it. He said what needed to be said. He spoke with conviction, acknowledging God, Elohim, the Hebrew God. I mean, this was a huge risk for him because the, the pharaohs in those days saw themselves as God incarnate themselves. And so here he is. He's not ascribing worth to Pharaoh as God, but he is talking about the one God, the God of the Hebrews, the only God, not this polytheistic kind of many gods kind of structure that they had set up, but one God. This could have been a huge offense that could have just landed him back in prison, but he stood boldly and he spoke the truth of who God was and the message that God had. He stood and spoke with courage, boldly, truthfully, and urgently. You know, that's the same the way that we are to speak these days. We are to speak God's truth boldly, truthfully, firmly, yes, lovingly, but also urgently. Pharaoh, he, Pharaoh is told then there's going to be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine that will make those seven years of abundance seem like a distant memory. But this wasn't going to be a walk in the park for Joseph to do this because I am sure those next seven years, there was a lot of talk. Do you think that everyone was behind this new plan? I mean, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? In, inserting this 20% tax. We're already, would we love it if we got taxed again? Like 20% more than what we're already paying? No. And who is this guy? Who is this guy? Some Hebrew jailbird? Heard he had a thing, perhaps, with Mrs. Potiphar. He was in jail for it, so I don't know. You know, and, and the, the, the innuendos, and, and, and it's just, who is this guy? I mean, maybe this guy was just off somewhere smoking some corn stalks with Pharaoh and came up with this grand idea. I don't know. But he spoke truthfully, warning, preparing. Not what people wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear. Here's something else about his life we see so clearly is that he was Holy Spirit-empowered. Oh, would we live a Holy Spirit-empowered life? Verse 38, a pagan ruler sees that the Holy Spirit of God is upon this man. Loved ones, this is what we ought to be known for as well. This is what people should be saying about us. This is what they should be whispering about us in the office, in the school, in the committee meeting, on the Zoom call, at church, in the coffee shop, in the neighborhood. They ought to be whispering things like, there's something about that person. And it's clearly not simply that they've made it clear that they go to church and that they're religious. There's something different about them. There is a strength. There's a grace. There's a love. There is an honesty. There's a boldness. There's a peace. There's a conviction. There's a clarity in, in, in our lives. Daily believer in Christ, we are to be pursuing a Holy Spirit-led and filled life Daily asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us to use us for His glory. Not quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit through sin, whether it's private sin or not even so private of sin. We must keep in step with the Spirit. And, and as we confess our sin, as we desire to walk in humility and holiness before God, asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, people are going to start talking. And it's going to be good talking that, wow, there's something different. 
There's something different about that person. The, the Spirit of God must rest on that person. No matter how old you are, young people in your school, from school to the seniors' home, may people see that the Holy Spirit is empowering and strengthening his children. Here's something else. He didn't forget God. Despite his new job that came with great cloud, his new clothes, his jewelry, his chariot, his, his new country, his language, he doesn't forget his roots. He doesn't forget God. In verse 50, we see that Joseph is given a new name, an Egyptian name. He's also given an Egyptian wife. And together they have two sons. And he gives them, though, and I love this, I love this, I, I love this, what happens. He doesn't forget God. What does he give it? What names does he give his son? He gives them Hebrew names. Because he didn't want his sons to forget Elohim, God, the God who is over all things and over there has been over their dad's life and is over their life. And, and he gave them name Manasseh, which means God has made me forget my adversity. That no matter that there was, he wasn't living in the bitterness of the betrayal of what his brothers did, but God has allowed him to forget that and not to be an issue. And then he names his other son Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of affliction. Oh, would that be so true in our lives that God would make us fruitful in the land of affliction wherever we're at? The second lesson we see, we need to prepare ourselves for the famine that is coming tomorrow. Or is already here. This is serious. We are living in serious days. Joseph warned of the famine that was coming, and he told him with great urgency, you better get to it. Come on, get to it. Let's go. No time to waste. And it looks like he gets his new, new digs. He gets all of this, and he gets busy. He gets working. He's getting the message out there. They didn't have, have text messages. They didn't have the emergency alert system like we have on our phones. Uh, last week, we were in a, in a greenhouse, and all of a sudden, your, your phones probably all went off as well. If not, they're not updated. Um, saying that there was an amber alert. You know, they weren't able to get it. You know, amber, you know, some sort of alert out there emergency alert, start saving your grain, you're going to get charged. No, he gets busy doing the work. He does it with great urgency. And loved ones, we are facing the prospect of a spiritual famine in our land, and it is, among, it is happening already. There's a famine in the land when it comes to, and this started 50 years ago. This is when this famine started, when, when a group of theologians started getting together here in North America and Europe, and they started pushing back greatly on the inerrancy of Scripture. They, they, they started, well, is this book really true? Is it infallible? Is it really the authoritative word of God? Or is it just merely a good suggestion book filled with some great stories and some great principles to live by? Perhaps you've heard it. God said it. I believe it. That's good enough for me. Have you heard that before? Yeah, that's a great statement. And it's a great way to live your life. There's times where God says it. I don't necessarily like it, but I must believe it and I must live it because it's good enough. It's great for me to live this way. But sadly, many Christians use this kind of thing lightly and perhaps they go like this. Did God really say it? I'll think about it as long as it works for me. And we, start, and, and we start just kind of questioning and changing what God's word has to say. Just even early this morning, I saw on social media a former person in a church where we pastored in another province for a number of years who has slipped into such worldly thinking. And I was just mad. And these people were spot on for the Lord. 
they were spot on and now they're the path that they are on because they've been neglecting God's word. They started by neglecting God's people, allowing busyness and life and that to, 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 to alter their time commitments and their family and their children are following suit. Oh, how we must come to settle in our minds and our heart that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. That God is completely sovereign over the election and the salvation of sinners. That justification comes through faith alone in Christ alone. There is a famine in the land when it comes to the churches in our land that are not opening the word of God and declaring, thus saith the Lord. They offer a watered-down, feel-good message that leaves a person with some nice little goosebumps, a bit of an emotional high, and, and all the while preaching half a gospel, a gospel that doesn't call for repentance, a social gospel, a feel-good gospel, a false gospel, citing new revelations or a new word from God. All the while Paul he, he writes that if anyone is preaching to you another gospel than Christ crucified, it is no gospel at all. And it's one of the reasons why we desire to see churches like Hope Bible Church, churches in the network of Great Commission Collective planted here in our province and in our nation and around this world, churches that are saying we are not going to sway from the word of God and the proclamation of it. Look at this Spurgeon quote. Avoid a sugar-coated gospel. Seek the gospel that rips up, wounds, and even kills for that's the gospel that makes alive again. There's a famine in the land when it comes to truth. Truth has been lost in the streets. It's been lost in the media, in social media. Truth has been lost in government. And we need to be to prepare and to be prepared for whatever the coming days bring. And man, just watch the news on a weekly basis. And you just see the slide that is happening. We're seeing in recent weeks, even in this past week, bold new steps that are being taken in our local governments, in culture, in our schools, in libraries, in entertainment like Disney this past week to so openly force down our throats, agendas, and lifestyles that contravene God's word. The famine is happening. All this while seeking to, to change the way that society, even the way that we think, and it's happening so subtly and so quickly. And at times I think, how, how can this happen? How, 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 can, how can people be so gullible? How can, how can we not see it? I mean, how, how do these people get voted? How, how does this, this, this happen? And, and it seems like the hearers, the people who hear the, what they have to say just kind of believe it and not question it. You know, how? Like, at times I just want to have a, it feels like I'm having an aneurysm. But I'll tell you how it's possible. God's word gives us the answer how this is possible. And I'm not saying this to be a smart aleck at all, but this is what God's word has to say. Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Right there. So no matter how much gray hair, how much life experience, how much intelligence, no matter what your IQ is, no matter how charismatic of a leader you are, how many degrees behind your name, to not believe in God means a person is living in a realm of educated foolishness. Not me, he said it. And it's to not live in the true wisdom of God. 
Psalm, 11, Psalm 111 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and those who practice it have good understanding. You want to be wise? Fear the Lord. Until a person comes to fear God, to recognize, and this isn't like, you know, fearful that he's going to whack us. This is the fear we talked about a number of weeks ago of a reverence and an awe of who and how mighty and how wonderful and how amazing our God is. And, and to fear him and to honor him and to revere him and to recognize this in him and, and, and to, to fear him means we understand that we were created. Hey, you were purposefully created by God in his image. <laughs> Proves he has a sense of humor. I mean, just look in the mirror, you know, and, 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 you, know, and, and you just can't get around that at times. And it, we've been created by God beautifully. And... And yet we've all been marred and we've been ruined by sin. And yet God loved us so much that he sent his son to remake us into the image of his son. And to all those who repent of their sin and receive his forgiveness and his grace and find life, you find also true wisdom. Because it's in the Holy Spirit. It's in the word of God. And until a person is brought to know and fear God in this way, then no matter how great one's success, no matter how much wisdom you accumulate in the, in the educational systems of this world, they will always be less than what God might make that person to be. That's why Solomon said to his sons, hey, get one thing, get wisdom, get godly wisdom, it's supreme. And where do we find it? In the word of God, in God's word. Lately, Charlotte and I, we've been watching some renovation shows, and I really like the uh, extreme restaurant uh, makeover with, uh, oh, oh, I can't remember, he's my favorite dude right now, uh, Irwin. Anyone? Robert Irwin, yeah, he was like, let's get to it. I, that's not where he got it, he says it a little bit differently, but anyways, love that show. But then we were watching this other one, and Charlotte said, oh, I think they're Christians. And, and so we, you know, I went and I started to do a little, oh yeah, they are, oh, they were on Oprah, mm. And, and, and so then, uh, th then it went on, and I, I read a little bit about them. There was rumors they got a divorce. Not true. But then they get interviewed, and they say, you know, oh, yes, we love God. And, 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 and how does God speak to you? And, well, and, and the husband says, well, I don't get much out of God's word. Uh. He says, I get, you know, God reveals himself to me when I renovate something. I'm like, well, no, th 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 then you know what, you, you don't get it. Because true wisdom, true life, where God reveals himself is in his word. Let's stick to his word. And so, oh, we need to get wisdom from the word of God. This is one of the men in our church told, us, uh, to, told me recently that when he was a young man that his mentor said to him, read a pro you want to know, you want to have God's wisdom? You want to have God's wisdom in work, in life, in family? One of the simplest ways and, and, and great ways to do is read a proverb a day as well as other portions of God's word, but you want wisdom. I mean, that's a book just like concentrated in wisdom of God's wisdom. Read wisdom, get smart, get true understanding from God. Parents, we can work so hard to get ahead, to get successful, and then we want our kids to be intelligent and charming and to have all the opportunities. We want them to make it. Please, we need to strive and work and pray, and sacrifice, and do whatever we can to get them into all the sports that we can. Because if you teach them, to, no. No. We pray, and we sacrifice, and we do whatever we can to get them in touch with God. 
Would we take our plans for our lives, our plans for our children, and we surrender it all to God and surrender our lives to Him, our marriages, our family, our children? And yes, even their goals and their dreams and our goals and dreams for them, reach for the stars as long as God, at any cost, get the wisdom of God, lead them in the ways of God. Wisdom that comes from the Word of God will not steer them wrong. Oh, may the Word of God dwell richly. That's why I'm so thankful that even right now, right now in the clubhouse, the kids are being taught the Word of God. And I'm thankful for those who teach Sunday after Sunday that when the second service will happen again and, and, and that the Word of God is being open. open. Youth, midweek, the teaching that is going on, backing and strengthening the foundation that parents that you are laying in your homes for your children. Parents, lay it down as a priority in the home, but also in the church for your kids. Tonight, we're going to hear at, at, our, at our prayer night the importance of godly influence in the lives of your children from other believers. That's why the church is so beautiful. That's why it needs to be a priority. Grandparents, your role is huge to pray and teach and invest your life in your grandchildren through your prayers, through your encouragement and influence. Parents, your children, your teens, they need to be influenced. They need that influence of other adults in their lives who help steer and direct them and teach them in the ways and the word of God. Spiritual training, yes, it begins in the home. That's how we prepare for the famine that is coming, but it is backed up and encouraged and helped by the church of Jesus Christ. Are you preparing? Are we preparing? Are we learning, knowing, memorizing, applying God's word? Is the gathering of God's people a priority to you, to your family? Are you under sound teaching of God's word? Are you surrendered to the word of God? Is it your authority or is it a suggestion book? The famine is coming and it's already settling in. Prepare. And then third and finally and quickly, regardless of where you are at today, regardless of what is going on, we must rest in the providence of God. Whether Joseph was in the pit or in the palace, we see this constant in his life. We see him resting in God's providential steps that he has for him. But let's face it, I don't know if you're like me, and I think I am because I even prayed with some this morning already. It's very easy to get consumed and angry and overwhelmed and cynical and concerned about all that's happening today, politically, socially, economically. But can I remind you of this truth? Again, didn't make this up. This is from God's word. But kings and governments don't make history. They serve God's history. God sets presidents and prime ministers, even dictators in place, Acts 17, 22. Even if we don't like them, this, is ha this happens. There are, there's never been a prime minister or a president that God did not want because they all have and will serve his purpose. Now, it doesn't mean that we just sit back and just kind of hope for better next time. I'm praying that God would, rise up, would raise up godly men and women to serve in political, public office, even from our church. But let's remember, kings do not make history. They only serve history. John 19, Jesus, I mean, Jesus just did the, the great mic drop here when Pilate was reminding him about his authority. He says, you know, I, I have authority to crucify you or release you. And Jesus says to him, you have no authority over, on, over me at all unless it has been given to you from above. I'm in, God's in charge. And we must remember in these uncertain days, 
when the evil regimes continue on and thumb their noses at justice or at God's word, and it even seems that the millions cheer them on, when dark kings prevail with seemingly impunity even, and righteous people are being engulfed by the darkness of night in this way, remember that kings do not make history, but rather God uses them to affect his purposes. We don't run. We don't head for the hills unless God makes it clear based on his word through prayer and seeking wise counsel. That's only when we run and head for the hills. We don't bury our heads in the sand and not pretend that nothing is bad is going on. No, we stand, we serve, we speak boldly for the living God, the truth of God, living on his mission and purpose for our lives. Joseph slept in the dungeon. He slept in the palace. He slept probably at times on the chariot, racing around uh, throughout the, the country. But he understood and believed and trusted that God was large and in charge. May we do the same. Let's bow our heads. Just as we silence our heart and we're going to continue in response, in worship, in the Lord's Supper, we can rest in the truth of Romans 8.28 because that is just all over the story of Joseph. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Loved ones, by faith, that is where we can rest. But just with your heads bowed, it just... Remember, it goes on in verse 29. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. A big part of God's foreordained plan for us is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. To make our character, our love, our forgiveness, our boldness, our prayer life more and more like Jesus. God's plan is more than just getting us out of prisons and pits and to make our lives comfortable. No, God's plan for our lives is to develop faith and character and Christ-likeness and to use us for higher purposes than we could ever imagine. Oh, that we would live all glory to God lives, preparing for whatever would come our way in and through the word of God and rest in the providence of God and celebrate and worship and encourage and be blessed by the people of God, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper, and this is for the believer in Christ. For the believer in Christ who has committed their lives to following Jesus Christ. It's a serious and it's a beautiful reminder of Jesus' broken body, his shed blood for us, for our sins, for our salvation. So I ask you to prepare even now in these moments by examining your heart, confessing any known sin, surrendering your life once again to to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But here's something about the Lord's Supper as well. This is also a table that is for messy and broken people. People who don't have it all together. People who feel, I don't measure up. People who are broken. It's for the parents who were freaking out on their way to church this morning because your kids were freaking out. It's for the person who has just lost hope, filled with guilt from the past, for failures. Come broken to this table. It shows our dependency on Jesus. We're not saved by the size of our faith, but by the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. And just a reminder as you come, you 
You can follow the arrows. It's just simply for traffic movements and flow. And uh, you'll be going clockwise. And as you come to the table, there's two options. There's, well, there's two tables. And just go to the one that's not busy. And there's two cups. One on the top has the grape juice. And the one underneath it has a piece of bread. And you can take that cup, those cups back to your seat. And, and when you are ready, you can partake. Spending time in worship and thanksgiving for our great God. And so God, even now, we just thank you that you are in control. And even as we come into this Easter season and it's just so much on our minds of your love and your sacrifice where it looked like everything, the plan of God was out of control in those days leading up to the crucifixion. God, we see that out of even what seemed like chaos, you brought something beautiful, the Savior of the world, our salvation. And would we take and entrust our lives, our future, these truths that we've heard from your word today, and would we apply them to our lives and allow you to change and transform? Work in us, we pray. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Would we look to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, today is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That turned out pretty well. Not just for him simply, but massively for us here today because it's in him we find life and help and salvation and peace and freedom and power, everything we need to live a godly life, to live a life with a sound mind in a crazy world that's found in you. And so we worship and we trust you.